Go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Please. I'm going to open in prayer, and I want to prepare you too. For those of you that are here for the first time or first of a few times, this may be your first experience having little babies in a worship service. And I just want to prepare you for the noise. It's uh, part and parcel for this sort of thing. We don't do this all the time, but we do it on special occasions like today, having our little bitty ones in here. So um, we're glad that you're here to experience the next (laughs) few minutes with us, whatever it may be like. The noise level will probably get louder as we go. But that's okay. We'll press on. We don't have a massive sermon or anything like this for you to endure. Uh, We won't have to wrestle your children for long this morning. So uh, let me pray for their little hearts, pray for the parents' uh, attentiveness, and pray for our time together that we spend these next few minutes. God, we are so thankful for uh, the opportunity to gather this morning, thankful for the noise thankful for the little people making the noise, thinking about almost nine years ago when you called us here, the, the one or two babies in the entire church, and Daniel being one of them, just marvel at all the new life. And uh, even for those that aren't here with us this morning, like a pair of twins that were born this week and another little girl that was born this week. Lord, we just marvel at your blessings. I want to pray specifically for these two little twins, for the Williams girls. Lord, we pray for their really adaptation to breathing air, and they're having to learn to breathe and eat and alternate that, just small things that we take for granted. Just pray that you'll teach them through whatever instructors, nurses, or Uh, Rebecca or whoever might be part of that training, just pray that you'll be enjoyed as they go about um, trusting you as these little girls develop lungs, breathing, simple things that, uh, that we do every day. Lord, in these next few minutes as a church, pray that you'll be enjoyed. I pray that you will be glorified. I pray that what we engage in these next few minutes will be true. Pray that what will be on our minds and our hearts will be the incarnation as we continue this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, we're in the book of Hebrews, and what I'm going to do this morning, I have three different passages I want to go to, and each of them will be brief. I'm developing an important point to make after those three passages, and then we're going to transition to the Lord's Supper in another passage. So I want to give you kind of a map for where we're going it's not insurmountable. It won't be unbearable. For those of you who, are, who have a little one in your lap or a few on your row, uh, you'll know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. For those of you that are wrestling kids, there's lots of grace, okay? But uh, just be attentive to if they become so loud that we can't hear, then it, it will be a, a grace and mercy to the rest of us if you just take them outside for a few minutes. So um, just a little housekeeping when we have babies. We have a little different dynamic. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, 
that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This passage we've been studying these last few weeks that we're going to continue on in the next few weeks is really considering the humanity of Christ. Chapter 1 presents that Jesus was and is God. God specifically says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Speaking to his son. He also says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, we know our God is jealous, so he's not going to let anybody get away with being worshiped unless they're God. So the godness of Jesus is established in chapter 1, and the humanity of Jesus is developed in chapter 2 in these passages, verses 14 through 18. I like what Athanasius said. If you were here last week, you met Athanasius. I like what Athanasius said about the incarnation, about God the Son taking on flesh. He said, he became what we are so that we might be what he is. That's good medicine right there when you think about it. He's not saying that we can become a God, but he's saying that he is holy, and he became what we are so that we might too be holy through what he did. That's good medicine. One of the things that had really been on sort of our hearts discussing Scott and I as we've had these last couple of weeks, our staff to also as we've met, is considering what are the implications of the incarnation and why are we in the incarnation and the humanity of Christ while we're talking about and preparing for membership renewal. And some of the things we've considered is this reality that the incarnation was difficult. It wasn't easy to take on flesh. There were some things that Christ had to experience when he took on flesh that he would have never experienced as he's sitting at the Father's right hand before the incarnation. Fatigue, pain, hunger. We have to know that he hungered or the temptation in the wilderness would have been no temptation at all. The potential of turning stones into bread, we trust that he hungered. We know that he thirsted from the cross. What did he say? I thirst. There's some things that he did in becoming incarnate that were expensive and difficult and not easy. There's some language in this little paragraph that I read this morning, some things that come out like through death that he made us his brothers, that he became our propitiation. It's a fancy way of saying he absorbed our wrath that was difficult and expensive and painful. And it says in the last passage I read there, he himself suffered. So, if Christ experienced all these things in the incarnation, then we can trust and know that the incarnation was not and is not easy. Now, turn to John chapter 1. See, I told you we're going to be moving expeditiously. John chapter 1, 
connecting a few dots here that'll be connected in a minute. So we have to kind of pick up the dots. Here's the second dot. The first is that the incarnation was not easy. That he suffered. He got tired. He got hungry. We could say also he got dirty. He didn't hover through Nazareth. He didn't float through Cana or Bethany or Samaria. But he got dirty. He didn't have a halo around his head like the pictures might suggest. He looked like just, just like you and me. Now, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That passage right there, we could connect to Hebrews chapter 1. He's God. But the transition I want you to see is that he's referenced here as the Word. And here in verse 14, right down the paragraph there, right down the page, it says, The Word became flesh. The Word became incarnate. The Word wasn't just a message. God could have given us just a book. He could have given us prophets and people inspired writers to write about something. But if Christ had not shown up in the fullness of time in Bethlehem, this would just be a good read. But it wouldn't be true. It wouldn't be life-altering. It wouldn't be life-giving. It wouldn't be life-changing. But the Word, if He had just remained the Word in heaven and never taken on flesh, it would just be a book of empty promises. But in verse 14, the Word became flesh and He dwelled among us. We could say that He got tired, He got sleepy, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he got dirty, dwelling among us incarnate. And we've seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the only God, the one who's at the father's side, he has made him known. You have to know that he couldn't have done those things from heaven. He couldn't have disclosed the character of the Father in the flesh had he not been in the flesh. He had to come here and get tired, sleepy, fatigued, hungry, thirsty, and, yes, dirty. Now, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. This is a passage we considered last week, considering the love in the incarnation. Chapter 3, verse 13 says this, or excuse me, verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We could insert in there, by this we know love that he took on flesh to lay down. By this we know love that he became flesh so that he could become fatigued, sleepy, hungry, thirsty, and yes, dirty. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You could insert the same things there, that we should be hungry, thirsty, fatigued, tired, maybe even sleepy, and dirty for the sake of our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in word, not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
John so beautifully makes the point right there that the message without a deed, without a show, without the incarnation is empty. It must be incarnate. And then in chapter 4, verse 9, in this the love of God was, here it is, made manifest among us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us by becoming fatigued, sleepy, tired, hungry, thirsty, and yes, even dirty. Here it's made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. Just like Athanasius said, he became like we are so that we might become like he is. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son an expensive price to pay the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The overall point for our time together this morning as we recommit in this next year to be members of one another is to ask some questions. Shouldn't we in the life of the church reflect the truths that we're engaging about Christ? If Christ didn't just have a message, if he wasn't even just bearing a message, but he actually became the message and became the story and lived out the story, so shouldn't we? If all we have for our kids is a story, but we're not living out the story in front of them, then it's a farce. If all we have in Greenville or at L3 or Rubbermaid or wherever is some words, but we have no application, It's a farce. It's not a reflection of this incarnate reality we've been engaging these last few weeks. Shouldn't we be incarnate with his message? Fatigued, hungry, maybe even dirty? I'm going to tell you right now, if you in a meaningful way get involved in other people's lives, there will be times where you get dirty. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're neck deep in problems at times and you want other people to come alongside you and get in your mess, you're going to let them, they're going to get in your dirt. But that's what this means. That's what this story is about as we're living out what he's already done for us. So shouldn't church be incarnate? Shouldn't this journey that we're on be a reflection of the story and a reflection of what Christ did? Remember a few weeks ago, we considered this heresy that's called desceticism. I may be adding a syllable in there, but it's okay. It was an early church, first century heresy, where people believed that God was so divine that he couldn't have possibly taken on flesh, so Christ was just an illusion. His whole life, his whole ministry was just an illusion. His cross was just an illusion. And sometimes we treat the faith that way where we don't want to get dirty in each other's lives and we don't want anybody to get into our dirt and we certainly don't want to get into any dirt here in our community. We want to float and just be an illusion of a message. But church, by definition, is sloppy and dirty and uncomfortable at times and it's not easy just like the incarnation wasn't. I want you to know my burden and the burden of the other elders is not to make church easy for you. Our burden is that we reflect Christ's message and Christ's ministry, which 
wasn't easy. So church done well, church done properly is not easy. I was thinking last week's of last week's little reading that we engaged a dude named Athanasius, the ministry that he had to a young dude named Macarius. I was thinking about what he did and how he ministered to Macarius being a great example of how we should be involved in each other's lives. It was largely, wildly inefficient for him to write a book for a new disciple. I'm thinking about Athanasius' schedule. Certainly, he had other pressing things he could have been about. Certainly, he had other things that were breathing down his neck, other things that he thought he could be about. Certainly, Athanasius at times felt fatigue. Certainly, Athanasius had those days like I have, like you have, where you're like, man, I just, I'm just dragging today. Certainly, Athanasius experienced some of those things, same things. Yet, in a meaningful, incarnate way, he lived out the message that he's sharing with Macarius by walking with him in the story. This book is an example. It's, it's, it's the embodiment of an incarnate ministry to a young Macarius. Now, I don't expect us as church to write books for each other, although that wouldn't be a bad idea, this being a great example. But I do expect us as a church to be involved in each other's lives in a meaningful way. If our only goal in church is to show up on Sunday morning, we've missed it. I'm not sure we even get the message. Christ was incarnate. And Christ got dirty. And Christ got sleepy and tired and hungry and thirsty. Shouldn't our ministry to each other, shouldn't our ministry as the church be a reflection of this? Incarnation, proper incarnation, being properly involved in each other's lives and in the lives of our community and the lives of those needs that he places in front of us is not easy, but it's what God's people just do. It's who we are. With everything in us, by God's grace and mercy, we want to be a church that does this. It's not easy. Turn to John chapter 6. As you're turning there, I'm going to share with you some of the pressures that we face from year to year. This is, I, I would guess, I haven't looked at it um, to know for sure, but I think this is our sixth time to meet, our fifth time to renew. The first time was where we became, we, we constituted as a new church. It may be our, I may be one ahead but Christy and I and our family have been here almost nine years coming this summer. And the burden that we came here bringing, the burden that Scott and I shared as I talked with him for the first time about coming on staff here, hey man, I want to see if you want to catch the dream. We've got no money for you, but I want to see if you want to catch the dream. He said, yeah, I'll come be part of that. Was that we wouldn't just go through the motions and just do church. Our current elders share the same burden. Our deacons share the same burden because it's easy to do. It's easy to do. Where attendance becomes the goal, we became burdened that, man, we want to be true, whatever the cost. And it may keep us smaller than we would be if we were concerned about convenience or what was easy. I'll give you a good example. With our kids in here right now, there was a time in the past that we used to do children's church. 
And some of you who hadn't been here long or who haven't been, you know, who weren't here years ago, you're like, you did? What happened? Well, let me tell you something right now. It was amazing. When you have people like Abby Schweitzer involved or Karen Bench or some of the other people that were involved in Children's Church, I'm going to tell you right now, it was amazing. And it was so quiet in here. Every Sunday was just like, parents are just attentive and taking notes and they've got their reading glasses on and it was awesome but we became burdened about the thinking about wait a second what even is children's church by definition we don't go to church by definition we are the church when we gather on sunday mornings it is corporate worship so the notion of children's church doesn't even make sense do children have little elders that meet with them they have some little deacons passing out the Lord's Supper and, you know, they can have an offering? Do they have a little version of church discipline? Like, man, that just doesn't even make sense. And by definition of corporate worship, it means we're all here. Now, we'll say this. We didn't go to the extreme where do, we do this every week. But we at least move to the place where we're not going to do children's church for a five-year-old who we believe should be at the point where he or she is beginning to learn how to sit still beside his mom and dad while they are taking spiritual nourishment. Now, is that easy? No. It's a whole lot easier to send them to children's church. And it's a whole lot easier to provide children's church for folks. And I wonder if our church wouldn't be a good bit bigger if we did some things like that. But it's not our burden to be big. It's our burden to be true. It's our burden to be incarnate. And incarnate means that sometimes these little ones are sitting next to us. And sometimes we're wrestling them. And sometimes I didn't even hear that message. Oh, thankfully, it's online. Sometimes we can hardly hear the sermon over the den of little mouths. But that's okay. That's okay. It's the message incarnate. We're going to transition to our Lord's Supper, and it is a nice transition from where we've just gone on proper church, I believe, is incarnate and not easy. It's involved in each other's lives in a meaningful way. To John chapter 6. John chapter 6, I was thinking about this week. I'm going to start calling it the Marine chapter because it kind of has a message of the few, the proud, although it's not proud, but the few, that the pursuit is not to be the biggest but the pursuit is to be the truest. John chapter 6, let me give you a little context. Jesus has just fed the multitudes. He's just taken fish that he knew personally because he created them. They swam in the Sea of Galilee because he made them to swim. He took those fish. He took bread made from barley or oats, I don't know, oats and barley that he knew because he created them. And he broke them, and he kept breaking them, and he kept breaking them, and he passes them out to the multitudes to feed 5,000 people. And the people are amazed. In fact, they want to make him king, one of the gospels tells us. And Jesus must have been tempted with this because he sends them away then, and he sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and he goes up to the mountainside to pray. He must have been tempted with the notion of them making him king because he is, after all, king. But he sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. He sends the crowds away and he goes up to pray with his father. After a period of time praying, 
some point in the night, I guess he thinks to himself, I need to go catch up with my guys. He's thinking, I don't, I don't need to bother with walking around the Sea of Galilee. I think I'll just walk on it since I own gravity and I own density and since I know every molecule that's in that sea. He started walking on the Sea of Galilee, caught up to his disciples. Of course, they see him and they have to change their pants because they think he's a ghost. And then he makes a statement that's often lost, really, in, I think in every translation that I know of, it's lost in translation. It says, it is I, don't be afraid. In fact, what it says is, I am, don't be afraid, appropriately handled as he's walking on the water. And then God gets in the boat, and then the next thing they know, they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We pick up right here in the story where the crowds show up. The crowds had to walk around the Sea of Galilee, and they're marveling at him being there. How'd you get here? I didn't see you going the way we went. In verse 25, it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, not with an answer of how he walked on the water, how he got there, but he speaks to the problem. And this is the problem with church done wrong. And this is how easy it is for us to give in. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're not seeking me because you want to see my glory. You're seeking me because you're a consumer and you're ready for another meal. He's speaking to the human problem right there, is that all of us left to our own device are just a consumer. We're going to look for in a church what we might look for in a grocer or a dry cleaner. Where's the most features and benefits of this church? Do they have a bulletin that's full of activities? Can they tend to my kids so that I can pay attention during the sermon? I'm going to tell you right now, when you're driven by that, none of those things are wicked in and of themselves. But when you're driven by that, you're missing it. When we as a church are driven by those sort of things, we're feeding the consumer monster. You were led here by your stomachs. You just heal here for another meal. And then the next verse, he says, don't labor for the food that perishes. Don't labor for the convenient. Don't labor for the tummy full. Don't labor just walking and being a consumer, but labor instead for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So then they ask the eternal question. Their version is what my version is. That, okay, what are we supposed to do to be saved then? Listen to the question they ask him. What must we do to be doing the works of God? If we're here on the wrong terms, if we're here as consumers and we're here just to get our belly full, why should we be here and what do we need to do to make you happy, to make God happy? And Jesus answered them this statement. This is the work of God, singular work, a definite article, the, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then he takes the rest of this chapter to show them what belief looks like. You hear it and you read it. Okay, yeah, I got that. No big deal. And I would suspect that most people in the crowd say, okay, well, I got that. But the problem is he kept talking. And when he kept talking, belief came into focus, and some people bailed on him. Listen to what happens. 
He says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then you go down to verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then you jump down all the way to verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Dirty, tired, hungry, sleepy, thirsty. The bread that I will give that will lead to eternal life is my flesh. Now, here's where things began to get a little bit complicated in this little sermon. The Jews then disputed among them, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? And Jesus, remember, is expounding on what it means to do the work of God, to believe on him whom he has sent. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He's talking to people that potentially have followed him for months. Unless you eat the flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But whoever feeds, that word translated could be munches, gnaws, chews on my flesh, and drinks my blood has eternal life, I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, he filled their stomachs the day before to give them a shadow of the substance that he's preaching about right now, that he's going to be the eternal meal, broken and ample, just like the day before. He says, I'm the food that will lead to eternal life. You might be hearing this and thinking, no, this is no big deal. This is no problem, but there are people that don't respond well to this sort of notion of what he's saying here is you got to be all in. He's talking about unabashed worship. You got to be after Christ hard and fast. He can't just be a notion and a dabbling meal. He's got to be the whole meal. He's got to be every meal. And that's what he's saying right here. Look at how they respond. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? It's over the top. Too much for me. Where's the cruise control? Where's the moderation? Where's the easy? He's saying it ain't easy. Remember, it's a work and it's a labor. He says labor for things that matter for eternal life. And this is the work of God. Those are the words that he uses. Pursuing him is work. Gnawing on him is work. And it doesn't come easy but these who want it easy saying man who can listen to this and Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples some of his disciples were grumbling about this said do you take offense at this and then down later in the chapter after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him give me easy Give me something that I can sort of park at times. 
Give me something that's not invasive. Give me something I don't have to labor at or work at. Give me something I don't have to gnaw on or munch on or chew on week by week. Give me a block I can check where I can just show up. After all, I'm here. And he says, no, if you want to abide to eternal life, you abide in me. And that means gnawing on my flesh and drinking my blood and taking me in full throttle. There's no cruise on this. And it's not easy. One of the sweetest parts of this story in John, Simon Peter, who is a great picture of us, a great picture of the volatile, the frail, the feeble, the guy that's all over the map says these words, and I think he says them on behalf of the church. He says them on behalf of me. He says these words, Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus is just asking, do you guys want to leave too? And he says, to whom shall we go? You have of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go? These guys get that it's hard. And these guys get that I'll take hard and I'll take difficult and I'll take dirty, fatiguing at times, incarnate involvement in each other's lives and I'll go the distance with it. Because where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? If we as a church are to reflect the gospel of our good God, what he did for us in the person and work of Christ, then it's going to mean difficult, hard, dirty, sometimes involvement in each other's lives. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be. And we're not trying to make it easy. We're trying to make it true. Now, an appropriate response to this chapter that we've just been in on eating his flesh and drinking his blood, weekly we take the Lord's Supper together. Weekly we endeavor to be stirred up by way of reminder in what this thing really is. It's not a club. Not a popularity contest. It's not just something we do in our daytimer or our iPod. It's not just something on our schedule. It's an identity. Weekly, we take this supper as a reminder of that. We take in this meal that he said, this is the labor, this is the work for eternal life, and this is what we want to be about. So an appropriate response to this time that we spend in the Word, we're going to turn now in these next few, mo- few moments to go to the Lord's Supper. Now, a few things are going to happen in these next few minutes. Sort of combining our Lord's Supper with the time that we've spent together talking about what it means to be meaningful, meaningful part of each other's lives as members. If you've brought this card with you, your membership card, this is just a way for us to have some idea of who's with us in this next year. This is, I think, the fifth or sixth year that we've done this. If you don't have one of these cards and would like one of these cards, there are deacons around the room that have these. Deacons that have them, stick your hands up just so we know who they are. If you need one of these cards, as we, in these next few minutes, enjoy the supper together, dine on his flesh and drink his blood, 
because we're all in, unabashed, no cruise control. In concert with that, we're going to drop in our membership commitment in this next year, the 2012-2013 year. If you're just visiting with us for the first time or first of a few times, you're like, man, I'm not ready to do that. That's fine. (laughs) Nobody wants to push you into that. But if you've been with us for some time and you feel like, man, I really believe the Lord's leading me to this, then drop it in that little clear, um, uh, whatever that basket, clear Rubbermaid thing is. What is it? (laughs) The clear container. Thank you. Just sitting on each of these tables as you come for the Lord's Supper. And also, I think, are we doing our offering separate? Offering, oh, excuse me. I'm all kind of turned around. These baskets on these speakers up here are for your cards. Okay, Christy and I will lead out on this side. We can have one of the elders lead out on this side so y'all know what to do. Uh, We're going to drop our membership cards right there in that little basket, and then families can go to the Lord's Supper tables, and you drop your offering in the little clear containers as you take your supper together. And then we're going to continue on in song. All right, so let me pray, and then we'll continue. God, we are thankful for this time together this morning. We're thankful that we have an opportunity to be reminded that being involved in each other's lives in a meaningful way and being the church means being a reflection of what Christ did for us and what you did for us in Christ, that he became fatigued, hungry, thirsty, sleepy, and even dirty. Lord, I pray that you will guard our hearts from imagining that church is just something that we float around through and attend to as an illusion and never really engaging one another in meaningful ways. Guard our small groups from just going through the motions. Guard our families from just going through the motions and going through attending week by week and never engaging the substance of it. Lord, I pray this commitment this year will be just that. It'll be a reminder that we're not a club. And a reminder that we're not pursuing convenience. And we're not pursuing ease. But we're pursuing truth. We want to labor with the work that endures to eternal life. Lord, we're thankful for the privilege of taking this supper together as a family. We're thankful in advance for the privilege of walking together as a people in this next year. We turn this year over to you as an offering. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first message I preached nine years ago here, almost nine years ago, preaching in view of a call, was in that building over there in the, what used to be the sanctuary, behind a pulpit. It's the only Sunday where we actually had a real legitimate pulpit. I wore a coat and tie, which was really, it was the only time I wore a coat and tie. <laughs> it was funny. Once they voted for me, then I took it off. It's, some people felt gypped, but anyway... Here's what I preach. I preach from this passage. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There's too much at stake for us to go through the motion with church. There's too much at stake for us to just show up and just attend. This thing is too important, too true, too real for us to not be involved in each other's lives in a meaningful way and to be involved in the lives of those who haven't heard about our Christ. So we want to walk wisely. 
And that's what this thing is that we do once a year where we recommit to each other and to our God to be involved in each other's lives in a meaningful way. Maybe it keeps us smaller. That's the Lord's business. Hopefully it keeps us true. I hope this morning you had a few minutes, albeit interesting with lots of background noise. I hope you've had a few minutes to be reminded, stirred up by way, way of reminder what this thing is that we're on, an incarnate journey together. And we want to make the most of our time because the days are fleeting. They're relentless. When he says the days are evil, what he means is they're relentless. They click off whether we like it or not. And they disappear whether we've walked faithfully in them or not. They don't care. So we want to make the most of it today while we've got today. One quick announcement, and then we're going to have a family come up, coming up who's moving, and we want to send them off. Um, lady tonight, you have to say with a lift. Lady tonight is tonight at 7 at the Roberts house. So if you're a lady, you're welcome. Even if you're, you're uh, visiting, you're welcome. Come get to know some ladies tonight at the Roberts house. The address is in your bulletin. If you, if you fail to get a bulletin, we'll get that address to you. So just ask somebody that looks like they know what they're doing, and we'll get you a, um, an address for 7 o'clock tonight. Goodman family, y'all come on up. And Brad and Scott and Steve, can y'all come up as well? The Goodman family has asked us to do something, and we want to do something that we've had a chance to do a few times in the life of our church. They've been with us. How long have y'all been with us? Two years, okay? There's Trevor and Jenny and Katie and Noah. And uh, something we're doing right here in these next few minutes is what ideally we would do with any family who left Crosspoint. They're moving. They've taken a job in Ohio or something like that. Iowa. 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 Four letters. Yeah. It's the same thing. They're all, yeah. I see, uh, see some objections over there from somebody that might be from one of those states. Those states matter. We, we really want to affirm that. They're going to take a job up there, and they've asked us to send them off. And this, man, this is the way things ought to be, where we're family that walks together. At some point in time, the Lord may lead us to have paths that diverge for one reason or another. It's a job or whatever. Hopefully, we're part of that journey. We've walked together as family. And we should be involved in each other's lives to the point where we can pray for this family that they'll find a church home, that they'll stay in God's will, that they will uh, raise, their, raise their children in the Lord. This is what this is. It's a send-off. We're sending them to a new field in Iowa. So let's pray for them. God, we're thankful for the time we've had together this morning. Just uh, with my arm on Trevor's shoulder right now, thinking about the family that this family has been the last two years, and in many ways they've embodied this message where they've known and been known, where they've engaged each other in meaningful ways and they've been engaged in meaningful ways, where they've been searchable, where they've been walking with people in life between Sundays, and also where the message each week has found purchase in their lives and their family and their children's lives as their children are enjoying it, their parents are enjoying it out loud. Just so thankful for, in many ways, they're an illustration of what we just heard. Lord, we want to send them off and just pray that they will stay squarely within your will, your perfect will, that they will find a church home that will continue to equip them, that they can continue to engage and know and be known by. Lord, we pray for these children that they will continue to be raised in the faith and they will enjoy you fervently for the rest of their days. We count it a sweet privilege to have walked with this family for two years. 
Let's pray that you'll be glorified in this next transition in their life. Lord, for us as a church in these next few minutes, we want to pray for blessing over this food that we're about to partake of. Just thankful for your provision. Thankful that we've already enjoyed the best meal, but that this one's going to be good too. And pray that you will um, just be savored as we spend time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.